That's what's up. That's what's up. You don't know what we got hiding around here, see? You know what I'm saying? God is working stuff all out. People using gifts and talents to his glory. That's booming, y'all. Um, um, so we want to make sure you got gifts and talents, though. Hallelujah. Hear a lot of people say they got gifts and talents, but you got to be checked out before your talent can be displayed so that God can get glory. Amen. You know, it say make a joyful noise with others in the midst. Amen. So I'm just saying, y'all, so praise God for his work through a mo. Um, um, glorifying God in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're chopping it up in Galatians. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're in a home stretch of Galatians. Father, we thank you that <clears throat> you have given clear grace <clears throat> that we don't have to fumble about our Christian lives. Um, that you've made your reality clear to us. And so, Christ, we bless your name for this time. We thank you for the word. And I just pray, God, that the word of God may take root in our lives and that we may walk in your truth and not just hear it, like it, and say that's a, that's a nice way of putting things. But, Lord God, help our souls to have it engrafted, implanted, into them so that um so that we may mature in jesus christ in all aspects in jesus christ's name we pray <laughs> amen amen i, I want to talk about the day out of this past i'm gonna go to ver- verse 15 around verse 15 we may stop there and i want to talk about the day the purpose of the gospel the purpose of the gospel paul switches gears here paul switches gears here as he um gets in the mix with the Galatians people, and he's trying to get them to recognize um, that uh, the Christian life is, is booted and kept by faith in the gospel alone. He wants them to know that every aspect of their life must be checked off by Christ invading their life um, through faith. And so we get to the turning point that Paul usually does in his letters. He usually starts off with orthodoxy. Say orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is the nutritional information that gives us the grace to be able to have our minds changed and rewritten from our way of thinking to God's way of thinking. That's orthodoxy. Now say orthopraxy. Now he's jumping into the section saying, yo, not that orthodoxy is not theology, but this is what theology, that the theology that I've just talked about, this is the way in which it is actually fleshed out. And so we got doctrine, duty, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. So what's dope here is Paul is now beginning to go into what does it look like for all the stuff I said in chapters 1 through 4 to take deep root in your life in a way that, 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 that makes us responsible for the Christian faith? And so I'm loving the way Paul here begins off with a statement. That brings me to my first point. If you're going to understand the purpose of the gospel, you've got to walk in God's ordained boundaries. Let me say that again. You gotta walk in God's or 
ordained boundaries. He says in verse 1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. I love that. This is a purpose clause. I love it because embedded in, 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 in here is Paul is saying this is the purpose. Everything I'm about to say has to do with the purpose of why God saved us. He says for freedom he saved us. Now, Jesus Christ in John 17:3 gives us the definition of eternal life. In other words, he says, um, for this is eternal life that you have a relationship with the Father and know the one in whom he sent. Now, Paul, in building on Jesus's or, or his understanding or Christ's understanding of the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the definition of eternal life, now we have here the purpose for eternal life. So what we're going to have to spend the first part of our time defining is freedom. Because I think freedom in the Christian faith is probably one of probably the most misunderstood misnomers in our theology and in our practice because everybody screams freedom. But the question is, how does the Bible define freedom? And so, and so as we go into the idea of freedom, it means of a consciousness no longer dominated by binding scruples of liberty. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. What is freedom biblically? I like it like this. This is kind of a definition that I say based on Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 24, and a few other passages. Then I want to walk through some of Jesus' freedom statements. Freedom is the enjoyment of God, his people, his creation on his terms. Let me say that again. Freedom is the enjoyment of God. His people, his creation on his terms. Now, you notice our place in there on his terms. Because, you know, we always apply enjoyment based on what feels good. But the question is, what are God's biblical parameters for how feeling good actually counts eternally? In other words, is that a feel good that God was cool with? Was that an enjoyment that God was cool with? If God is not free, I mean, if God is not uh, cool with my enjoyment, then I'm not walking in biblical freedom. And so, so, so the questions we have to begin thinking through in this biblical understanding of freedom is what, did Je- what, what are the kind of the statements that Jesus has about freedom? He has so many freedom statements. When you get a chance... Just take out a concordance or go on Bible PC, something like that, one of the Bible joints, and just put in the word freedom for the New Testament. And there's a litany of uses of freedom. I've only constricted them to three because of time. Um, Jesus, over in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and Isaiah, it was just a quotation of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, Jesus says, For I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And what did he say? To set free the captives. Now, what's interesting is on this day, um, the, the, the rabbi, or, or the synagogue leader said, Jesus, yo, come on up, and we want you to, you know, kind of just do the scripture reading for the day and maybe a little explanation. Jesus walks up, covers, covers his dome, walks up, 
to the joint. He unrolls the scroll. They didn't have like, they didn't have Isaiah chapter. You had to go among the stack of scrolls. You had to pull out the Isaiah scroll. You had to roll it out and he had to roll it all the way over and find the place. And he found the place where it was written. And then Jesus wrote, I mean, Jesus spoke out loud. He, now what's interesting is he read verse 1 and 2a. It's dope. Because what he does is he says, I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, the favorable day of the Lord, and to set the captives free and to give the blind sight and to proclaim the year of Jubilee um, or the favorable day of the Lord. That's a, if I just spent time on that, that's a whole nother joint. So I'm going to just point to the one piece, right, because it's rich. And so Jesus stops there. Now, if he would have went to 2B, he would have gone into his second advent. But what Jesus was doing, advent just means time period for him to execute the Father's promises. We're in his first advent. So when he came, he stopped at verse A. And when he stopped, I mean 2A, and when he stopped there, it says, and he closed the scroll up, looked up at the people in the synagogue and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. I like it because what Jesus was saying is now what the father's been promising, what the father has been talking about, he was going to give away the fact that a cat is present. God incarnate, the glory of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God in a human body, proclaiming the fact that I have an eternal release to make sure that I am the fulfillment of this verse. He says it's, it's fulfilled right now today. Yeah, he said, today, fam, it's fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, but then that goes over to his other view of freedom. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? <laughs> My daddy in the ministry used to always trip me up with this, and I loved it. Because he's saying, the verse is really saying, only the truth you know can set you free. See, if you don't know the truth, it can't set you free. Now, the truth is always available for you to be set free, but the question is, do you want to know it? And so Jesus, when he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, he's letting them know that the truth is now available for freedom to be dispensed into your life. And so as Jesus looks at um, his ministry, Jesus looks at his ministry as at the center of his ministry was to bring freedom. <clears throat> and so but what happened is you got to understand why Jesus had to bring freedom. Y'all ready? The reason why he had to bring freedom was because of the fall. Got to explain all this before you get all in, you know, enjoyment about freedom. You got to understand the framework of freedom. <clears throat> Adam was made free. In other words, Adam said, look, man, God said, look. This, this is one of this, this, like, you can, you can name the animal. I want you to go, or you, I want you to go across the earth, subdue it, do kind of what you want, leave a tree in the middle alone, and enjoy intimacy with your wife as much as possible and as often as possible. Have as many kids as you want. Raise them up. I mean, you got all of this made available. What happened is, is when Adam sinned, the freedom that he had was put in bondage. And so what happened is mind, his mind was in bondage, <coughs> his way of thinking, that is, his passions are now in bondage. Guess what else is in bondage? His will. 
His will got put in bondage. In other words, it's not that lost people don't have a will. It's just in bondage to do what the flesh, the world, and the devil wants it to do. And so when you look in Ephesians chapter 3, I mean 2, verses 1, um, verses 1 through 3, it points to the fact that our way of thinking and our passions were so in bondage that we had no choice because our will was locked up, tied up, tangled up in mess of the enemy, that we had no desire, no passion for the pursuit of God. Therefore, we pursued everything within the framework of our own passions. So when Jesus came and said, listen, I'm coming that you might have life and that you may have life abundantly, what Jesus is saying is, look, I want to free you up to enjoy God. And so when we talk about that freedom is the enjoyment of God, his people, and his creation on his terms, that means God creates the parameters for our freedom. So if God creates the parameters for our freedom, we're supposed to work within those parameters. This is what happens, though. We look at God's parameters, and then we look beyond the borders of his parameters. And when we look at beyond the border of his parameters, and we see other people wilding out beyond God's freedom realm, we think the people that are not in God are freer than we are. So then we begin to covet where they are, rather than enjoying where God has placed us. And so what happens is, is we keep walking towards the border like this. Man, it's sure good to be in Jesus. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and we got all of this room, all, all, all of this to enjoy. We got all of this God to enjoy, all of the people of God to enjoy, and the creation of God to enjoy. And something within us tells us that we don't have enough. <laughs> and so when we talk about the idea that for freedom, Christ has set us free, he set us up so that we will not be inhibited in our ability to walk in the pleasure of the Father. And so, and, and so it also is the act by which the death of Christ makes obedience to the Father capable again. Capable again. We talked about the fall. We talked about the bondage. But then it says over here, it says, <clears throat> he says, for freedom, and we're going we're gonna to revisit this. Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not, do not submit. In other words, to be entangled in the yoke of slavery. In other words, of course, here in the context, he's going to be talking about the law. But he's not talking about the law as something bad. He's talking about our response to it to do things within the framework of our own power. And so when he says, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery, in other words, don't see your view of freedom. In other words, usually freedom for us is freedom from what God has to say about our life. See, that's what usually freedom is. He says, no, 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 no. He says, fam, that's not freedom. 
he he, he says, that's actually bondage. He says, a human version of freedom is bondage. And so whenever in our lives, we be, when, whenever you know you're not going to pray about it, whenever you know you're not going to get in a word about it, you're placing yourself back in bondage. It seems free at first until the consequences of not walking in God's place of freedom becomes a frustration because of the consequences of not listening to the Father. And so he says, don't. Uh, submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery here is any binding burden, st- uh, strict requirements, heavy obligations. <clears throat> In the context, is pointing back to the realm, to the realm that places us, or you and I, into the bondage of sin. Into the bondage of sin. When you look at Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 talks about sin being a kingdom, a sphere of demonic influence. When you look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and four, uh, verse, uh, uh, 13, it says, He has purchased us and redeemed us, and we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son. So what God does is it's like when you get on the bus and you want to get on another bus, you get a what? Transfer. So that you can have the ability to get on another bus where Jesus was our transfer. So now you're in another kingdom. So now you've gotten an eternal transfer now. And, and so, but, but, but he says, don't get, he said, you're not going to get a transfer from the new bus to go back to the old bus. And, and, so, and, so, and so what he says is, listen, I, I'm not going <coughs> to legislate your ability to walk in a former yoke of slavery. But what's interesting is it's not that God doesn't want us to have yokes. The question is, whose yoke do you have? Because Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Come to me, all you who are heavy, burdened, and laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. See, This is what's different between Jesus' yoke and the world's yoke. See, the world's yoke make you, see, the idea of the yoke is when an ox would put a yoke around themselves, around them by the farmer, and they would have to plow and and, and till until the ground so that something could happen to the ground for growth to take place. Jesus says something different. He says, take my yoke upon you. So Jesus says, I know you have your yoke, but I want you to take on my yoke. So Jesus says, I'm already plowing, so I'll be in front of you already linked up in the yoke tilling. All you have to do is get up in the yoke behind me and follow me. So if I go right, you go right. If I go left, you go left. If I go back, you go back. So what you're doing, if I go forward, you go forward. So what you're doing when you have a Jesus-centered yoke, this is the center of what it means to be free. This is the center of what it means to be Christ-like. See, the ox that's in the front takes most of the weight away from the ox that's behind them so that the stronger ox can teach the younger ox how to walk forward, how to till. And so when you take his yoke upon you, you're taking a light burden upon you. And so when he says, don't put on, don't take upon yourself the yoke of slavery anymore because you're going to be on your own. 
You ever, you ever, you ever walk, you ever been doing something and God lets you know that you was right by yourself in that thing? <laughs> you like, God, I really want, God, he's no, God, I really want, 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 no. Okay, cool. Do your thing. Enjoy yourself, family. Enjoy yourself. Do your thing. Hang out. Do all you want to do. And then you get out there. Ha, ha. I did, crick, 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 crickets just out the joint. God says, if you want to carry your burden by yourself, I'll let you. But Paul is saying, I just want to let you know is that's not your purpose. That's not your purpose in life. And I'm going to talk about that because Paul is going to talk to us in a little bit about a biblical understanding of purpose. So therefore, what is a yoke? Anyone, anything, or any place that competes with your commitment to Jesus Christ. Anyone, anything, or any place that competes with your commitment to Jesus Christ. What in your life, who in your life is competing with your commitment? Who in your life, when you're, when you're doing life with them, slows you down from walking with Jesus? He, say, he says, those things that do not help you move forward in the sphere of God's enjoyment is a yoke. Anyone, anything, or any place. So that means you're in an Ichabod situation, no glory. God has fell back from blessing. His hand of favor isn't upon you. His face ain't shining upon you. Why? Because you're in the realm of falsehood, not in the realm of freedom. But in the realm of freedom, God says, listen, you, people always ask questions, how do I know, bloom, 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 bloom? Look what the Bible says. How do I know I should marry her? He that finds a wife, finds a good thing, finds a favor with the Lord. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Go from verses 1 to 6 and look at the attributes of a godly woman. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, I mean 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses um, 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 9 through like 14. Look at the attributes of, go over to Proverbs 31. Now, what in the world, now, go over to uh, 2 uh, 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 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Is, are you equally yoked? Are you equally yoked? Is she walking with Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Amen. Okay, pray about it now. 